Hi, and welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder, and I'm a naturopathic doctor and a women's cyclical health expert. This podcast is a space where we demystify all of the bad hormone advice we've been given and instead get back down to the foundations. Your dream of regular, pain-free periods, balanced hormones, and vibrant energy is within reach. Join me and other incredible experts here every single Monday for conversations that are sure to be life-changing. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. If you are like most of us, at some point you have come across the term adrenal fatigue and maybe you felt like it really matched everything that you've been experiencing. This is a term that tends to really connect with people and really gives them validation in what they've been feeling. However, the term adrenal fatigue is not necessarily accurate. Your experience and the symptoms you're feeling certainly are real. But the term adrenal fatigue isn't really a correct term to describe what's happening when we get to the point of severe fatigue, brain fog, sugar cravings, and all the things that are typically put under the umbrella of adrenal fatigue or severe adrenal burnout. So often people tell me that one of the worst symptoms they experience around their period is intense fatigue. And certainly I've worked with many women over the years where their number one reason for working with me is to address their chronic state of fatigue, where they feel like they wake up in the morning and feel blah, and they're grabbing coffee all day long. And then they go to bed at night and they're tired, but they can't necessarily fall asleep. And if you have ever felt any of those things, this episode will feel really, really empowering with some real clear solutions and will also really demystify why adrenal fatigue is not a fair term to use and what it actually is. Today's amazing guest is Holly Braddock, who is a functional nutritionist and a foodie who has a huge passion to help empower women to take charge of their gut health and get their body back. She has degrees in nutrition and psychology, so she likes to take a science-based yet holistic approach to gut healing and harnessing the power of the gut-brain connection. And this is where her expertise is so excellent in this topic of adrenal fatigue, because as you'll learn today, it's not really just an adrenal thing, it's a whole body thing when we get to the point of these intense symptoms like fatigue. Before we start today's episode, a huge amount of gratitude to our sponsor, Jubilance. Jubilance is a science-backed solution for PMS symptoms like moodiness and irritability, and it is one of the simplest and most effective ways to get your life back if you're tired of struggling with PMS, mood swings, irritability, sadness, you know, all the fun stuff that comes with intense PMS every single month. Taking just one capsule a day really can be transformative, at least it is for thousands of women around the world who rely on Jubilance every month to support their quality of life. You can try Jubilance for a month with no risk and take $10 off your first order with code cyclical. You'll also get free shipping. Just go to jubilance.com or check out the link in the show notes. Hi, Holly. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. How are you? And thank you for uh, this opportunity. I'm really excited. I'm excited too. And I am doing great. Thanks for asking. This might be one of the most downloaded episodes that I'll have ever produced because every time I post on Instagram, what is your number one hormone symptom that you're tired of dealing with? It's almost always fatigue. And Mm. as I'm sure you know very well, a lot of people go down this rabbit hole of it's adrenal fatigue And I'm really excited to 
dispel a lot of the myths around that and give finally some really clear, concise information and some real solutions. Yes. Let's dive in. Can't wait. So how did you get into this world? Where did your passion come from? Yeah. I mean, I am a gut health focused nutritionist, but I talk a lot about the gut brain connection. And the more I work with clients over the years, it's been about five years now practicing. And, um, you know, I got into this field, first of all, from my own gut health issues that I've had since childhood. And something that I noticed in my own journey and with clients was that no matter how quote unquote clean you eat or how many supplements you take, people are still having gut flares and they're still tired and they're just not feeling great. And as I got more into this world of functional medicine, um, something called adrenal fatigue came up quite a bit. And with my own journey of having a lot of chronic fatigue as well, um, that really resonated with me. But as we'll dive in today, um, I think it's kind of a misnomer or an inaccurate term. I mean, all of the symptoms and everything still apply and, it's just the way that it's described to people is um, it's not accurate and it's not uh, as helpful because they need to kind of get to that root cause, which is what I'm all about in my practice, right? Because again, we can, you know, take a peppermint oil capsule or take a probiotic, but why are you having gut issues in the first place? Same with those restrictive diets, right? So you can't stay on them forever. and, And just because you have no symptoms on this diet doesn't mean that you're healed necessarily. If only, right. If only it was that easy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that you take this functional approach, help people get to the root cause. So when someone comes to you dealing with, you know, the common things, right. Brain fog, fatigue, um, hormone imbalances, gut issues. And then maybe they start to say, I really just think I have adrenal fatigue. I heard this doctor on Instagram talk about adrenal fatigue. (laughs) Where do you start with that? And why is adrenal fatigue not really an accurate term? Yeah, great question. Big question. Um, Where I start. So usually when I start with a client, uh, I like to get a really detailed uh, medical history, as well as current, um, you know, health concerns, medication use, and then a a very specific, you know, day in the life. So what is your lifestyle like? What are your responsibilities? What are you eating? What are you doing? Um, Because these things all have such a huge impact um, on energy levels and mood and, and gut symptoms. So even things like sleep, mental health, you know, are you taking time out of your day to like, listen to your body and slow down? Um, we're going to talk more about that in the episode, but I like to take a really deep dive with each client because really there's so much more going on. Um, not just with regards to how these things impact their gut health, but, you know, are you tired because you have this quote unquote adrenal fatigue, or is it because you're not absorbing all the nutrients from all this healthy food that you're eating? Right. There's so many factors that can contribute to fatigue. So I really need to tease apart whether it's uh, like stress and lifestyle related and and maybe poor sleep or whether it's more to do with a lot of inflammation and whatnot coming from the gut. And oftentimes it's both. And so when we hear this term adrenal fatigue, it kind of makes it for those of you who don't know what adrenals are, I guess we should back up Um, your adrenal glands are two glands that sit on top of your kidneys and release stress hormones like cortisol, which is one of the main ones we've all heard of. 
Um, so first I'd like to say that cortisol is not necessarily a bad thing. We do need cortisol in, in a certain type of pattern, um, which we refer to as like our circadian rhythm throughout the day. But what happens is when we have chronically high cortisol or stress hormones, or they're peaking at the wrong time of day, that's when we have issues. And this adrenal fatigue, when we have all these symptoms of like brain fog and mood changes and fatigue, and maybe we have pain and inflammation or weight gain, we have to think, okay, so yes, uh, you know, stress is causing our adrenals to maybe pump out a lot more stress hormones all the time. And the way that people explain it is, okay, your adrenals can only take so much. And then over a period of time, eventually they get quote unquote fatigued and they can't produce the stress hormones like cortisol that we need. And that's when we start to have problems, but that's something, um, that could, would be a very serious health condition. If you had little to no cortisol, um, you can definitely have, you know, suboptimal cortisol or slightly low, um, that could contribute to fatigue for sure. But if you were fully, if your adrenals fully were not working, you would probably be in the hospital. <laughs> um, so what, what's going on in the first place? Like, why are the adrenals being prompted to produce so much stress hormones? Where is that signal coming from? That's what we have to really ask, right? And in this case, we have to look upstream to the brain and something called the HPA axis or the hypothalamic pituitary axis. And that is a part of the brain that um, perceives stress. And then it will in turn, it does a number of things, but eventually it will send a signal to the adrenal glands to release stress hormones. And so it's not the adrenals themselves that are the problem. It's the constant signal from the brain, this HPA axis of the brain. And this eventual, when, when it's long-term, we call it HPA axis dysfunction because we're having these, these signals that are being sent constantly and it may not even be a situation where the brain should be like, oh, this is danger. We have to go into survival mode, right? It might just be someone said a passive aggressive comment to you or mm -hmm. someone cut you off in traffic. It's like, yeah, it's not a great situation, but it's not life-threatening where you need to pump out tons of stress hormones either. And so it becomes more of a not necessarily how do we fix the adrenal glands, but how can we regulate the brain and its response to different um, stressors in life so that we're not constantly putting our nervous system into the state of fight or flight or survival mode um, where we're sending these constant stress signals to the rest of the body. Yes, really great explanation and helpful to remember the bigger picture because yeah, it's not just our adrenals aren't working properly and there's, you know, they're just burnt out after years of stress. Like you said, it's further up. And even what does your brain perceive as stress? Um, mm -hmm. and that could be dependent on every person. So what else does the HPA access do? Yeah, it does quite a lot for us, actually. It regulates everything from our sleep-wake cycle, um, and that's uh, partially regulated by cortisol. So ideally, cortisol should be peaking in the morning, and that helps us to wake up, and then it gradually declines throughout the day, uh, where it should be lowest in the evening, which allows us to fall asleep. It also um, regulates things like our hormones, our body temperature, our hunger, basically all of our bodily functions. And especially with regards to hormones and signaling of 
cyclical processes, including things like our sex hormones and our, our cycle. Yeah. So a lot of things, which is why when the imbalance (laughs) starts up there, everything else can feel affected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It has such a huge cascading effect on everything from, you know, metabolism to mood, to, um, energy levels, even, um, immune function. So a lot of people Mm -hmm. that have this long-term HPA axis dysregulation end up with, you know, uh, lots of inflammation or they've got really bad allergies or may even develop like an autoimmune condition. Mm, Very interesting. So of course, Mm. what everyone's wondering is, well, what, why does it go wrong? How can we have dysfunction in the HPA access? Yeah. And that's a, a big one as well, because there's so many factors that can affect it. And unfortunately, a big part of it is our modern lifestyle. Um, so many of us, you know, we have a lot of responsibilities, um, whether or not we have a family or those of us that do have, you know, a family and kids, you have the mom responsibilities, maybe you're also working and you have aging parents and, you know, maybe you have your own health conditions that you're dealing with and you have uh, volunteering or you have to, you know, get groceries and make food for the family. And there's so many pressures and responsibilities that the average person has these days. And some people are working two or three jobs to make ends meet with the the state of the economy. Um, So there's just a lot of uh, demands on the average person. And one of the big things that I see quite a lot, especially with the women I work with, um, so maybe like perimenopause and menopause age is um, because they're starting to gain weight and they want to lose some of this weight, they are often under eating and over exercising. And they're thinking, well, this worked for me when I was younger. So why isn't that working now? And on top of it, I'm feeling really tired and really just depleted and, and everything. So the problem is these things in general, like this under eating and the over exercising is a stressor on the body, whether or not our mind perceives it as stress, it's a physical stressor on the body. And so stress can come in many different forms and we may not recognize, you know, if we're feeling, you know, I don't feel stress. I don't feel on edge or irritable or jumpy, but if you're stressing your body out by under eating and going to CrossFit five days a week, right. Because you want to lose weight, that's going to take a toll um, and keep your body in that kind of sympathetic fight or flight stress state um, where we're having this dysregulation all the time. And sadly that is so common. I swear. I feel like a broken record. Cause I think I somehow say this in every episode, but the number of women that I work with where I finally see their food journals, I mean, it, I'd say nine out of 10 are accidentally under eating, um, mm. partly probably due to this because they're busy, they're stressed, their hunger cues are not happening. Um, mm. and they have some belief that, you know, oh, I don't want to eat too much because I'm already, you know, dealing with some excess weight or something. So it's, it's a vicious cycle for sure. It is. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I don't really focus specifically on weight loss, but I have a lot of clients that have that as a goal. And so I like to educate them. Um, and it's, it's a tricky process because we've been programmed with these, this diet culture for most of our life. Right. But I like to educate them and let them know that, look, it's, you know, weight loss is so much more than just diet and exercise, you know, it's your sex hormones, it's your thyroid hormones, it's your sleep, your stress, 
And one of the biggest factors for a lot of women is a stress, especially when they're gaining weight in their midsection and they feel like they're quote unquote doing everything right. Um, so I really like to educate them on that so that they understand more that they don't have to push their body in by, uh, under eating and over exercising to get the results that they want. Yeah. And I think it brings me to, you know, you mentioned this, um, when we were talking ahead of time, planning the podcast, you said you won't heal unless you're willing to change the lifestyle that got you there. And I felt like that was a mic drop kind of moment, um, and kind of a harsh truth that not everyone wants to hear. Mm -hmm. It's tricky because you know, especially if you have a demanding career or or you're a mom and you have a demanding, you know, um, lots of responsibilities and with the the kids and you're also working and everything. I know I've had clients say to me, like, I get it, but what can I do about it? I can't get rid of the stress in my life. I'm busy. I'm stressed. Like, what do you want me to do short of quitting my job? Um, you know, or like, giving my kids away to my in-laws or something though. It's like, obviously these things aren't doable. Um, so I always let people know that it's not so much like you can't prevent stress necessarily. There may be cases where you can, but with all these responsibilities and the go, go lifestyle, it's more about setting boundaries, choosing your priorities and finding small moments to add in practices that help your nervous system and your brain to regulate and shift into that rest and digest parasympathetic mode where healing happens and where you feel calm and grounded. So even if that means doing five minutes of deep breathing before bed or on your lunch break, you know, popping outside uh, to grab a coffee, but like walking to the coffee store that's on the corner rather than driving. So you can get some, you know, hopefully there's some nature in the area and just get some movement in your body. Right. So just working with your routine and finding small, simple things that you can do to buffer the effects of that stress rather than trying to avoid it. That's a great perspective because I hear people say that all the time. Like you said, like minus like divorcing my husband and quitting my job. Like, I don't know how to get rid of my stress. That is my stress. Right. (laughs) And it is, it really is the little things that can mitigate all the other things going on in our lives. Um, I'm curious specifically for moms, because I'm feeling this, my son is just over one now. And, you know, before I had kids, I feel like I just didn't understand how taking care of a baby or a toddler, I'm sure even an older kid really can be a massive amount of stress on your nervous system every day. You know, Mm -hmm. where do some of these tools come in for moms? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I can't pretend to know myself as I'm not quite a a mom yet, but um, from the moms I've worked with, um, I'd say they just, they take any opportunity they can, right? So if baby is sleeping, then they can um, do like a guided meditation and maybe they fall asleep and have a nap, you know, while they're doing it, but they're doing it. And, um, you know, there's like the mom and baby yoga classes. You can go to one of those instead of feeling like, oh, I have to get someone to watch my child. Um, and I think a big part is really asking for help and delegating as much as possible. Um, obviously for those people that have the luxury and, you know, if you're a single mom and you're, the rest of your family lives out of town, 
might be a different uh, situation, but for those people that have that support, you know, really using that resource and being like, look, I, I need half an hour for myself today. Otherwise I don't think I can get through this day. Can you please, you know, um, watch the kid while I go have a bath or something. And even if it's something that's like five or 10 minutes, it makes such a huge difference. Um, and that can even be while you're doing something else, right? So say you're at the grocery store and um, you have your list in front of you, but your mind might start wandering on, oh my gosh, I have to do this later. I have to do that later. So instead of, of, of fixating on the to-do list, it might be better instead to kind of, okay, which general direction am I walking? And I'm going this way while I'm walking, I'm feeling my feet on the ground. I'm smelling the smells from the bakery, like really taking in all of the senses around you. And that's kind of like a, an easy mindfulness practice where you can get more like out of your head and into your body so that you're feeling a little more grounded. Yeah. I think motherhood really does teach the art of, yeah, needing to create those small moments of regulation, because unfortunately, most of us can't just like go book a massage once a week or, right. you know, do the bigger <laughs> things that I, you know, at least personally, I used to do before I had kids. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, I'll take any little crumb I could get. <laughs> yeah, and, exactly. And having to use my time more wisely. And um, I'm not always good at that. But the intention is to use my time more mm -hmm. wisely to soak up any time that I have for nervous system regulation and, and kind of grounding myself, especially when it's been a hard day. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I personally see a, a acupuncturist who has taught me a number of um, mindfulness practices because I've very much always been someone who lives in my head, being a, a thinker and an entrepreneur and a sciencey person and naturally, you know, anxiety prone. So really I've noticed a huge benefit, even on my busiest days where, you know, if I just drop into my body and check in and be like, Oh, why is my jaw hurting so much? Oh, I think I've been clenching all morning. Okay. So clearly I'm holding some kind of tension here. Like what can I do in this moment to help myself get into my body and out of my head? So just that mindfulness in itself, it's, it's kind of like the first step. Right. And I think starting small is so important. Like don't expect mm -hmm. yourself to change everything overnight. It's just yeah. even the mindfulness and the realization of why you might be having these symptoms and checking in with your body is kind of like a nice first step. Um, and then gradually adding in practices that work for you. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned other things earlier, like breath work and time in nature, meditation, and I do like that invitation, even just to check in with yourself, because I think if we're present, we will get an immediate answer from our body as to what's going on. Like you said, if your jaw is tight or your back hurts or, you know, neck and shoulders tend to oh, be the big place for people. <laughs> literally every, every yeah. massage of my life when they're like any specific areas we should focus on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, neck and shoulders. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So really, it sounds like the first step is cultivating the awareness and then weaving in these small practices that I think on paper maybe seem like, well, how helpful could that really be five minutes out in the sun? Like, what is that going to do for me? Um, right. But sprinkling that in and allowing your body to tell you the difference. Mm -hmm, exactly. And you do feel it um, when you shift out of that, like, 
energy in your head mode into the being in your body mode. You do feel kind of your body being like, oh, thank you. Like, ah, like finally I can <laughs> take a load off and you do feel kind of like a, a sense of grounding and there's no other better way to put it, I guess. And I like to also use, um, because I'm a kind of a visual person, I use kind of guided imagery to um, like picture all this chaotic energy in my body and then sending it down through my body out of my feet and into the earth and kind of like giving, giving it to mama earth, so to speak, as as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it does help to kind of channel that energy downwards and out of the head. Yeah. Especially for, like you said, those of us that can get lost in our brains, overthinking things and uh, nice mm-hmm. to pull it all down. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. When you work with a client that specifically struggles with the fatigue piece, like wake up in the morning, exhausted, they're walking around with a cup of coffee, you know, from like 8am to 5pm, just to get through the day. What other tools become really, really helpful in that scenario? Yeah, so I always like to ask, uh, because this is something that's too often overlooked. And unfortunately, we most of us don't get taught this. Um, I don't know what the nutrition education is in school these days, but all I remember getting when I was younger was here's Canada's food guide. You need to eat the food guide. And like, why? Mm. We don't know. Just follow it. Cause that's the thing to do. Literally. <laughs> um, but no guidance as to like food combining, for example, like, yes, you want to have some carbs and yes, you want to have some protein, but what's the best way to eat those during the day and in what combination, right? So something that people don't get taught is something, a concept of blood sugar regulation. And so our blood sugar is um, the level of sugars in our blood, quite literally at any given time. And it needs to stay within a certain healthy range, a fairly narrow range for our body to function properly. And ideally our cells take that sugar and use it to make energy for our body. But the, um, where does that sugar come from? So everything we eat eventually gets broken down into simple sugars that our cells can use for energy, but the rate at which it gets broken down and digested and absorbed into the bloodstream is different depending on the food and the combination of foods that you eat together. So the reason why, um, you know, a lot of people when it comes to weight loss or other, um, health goals, people often say eat more protein is because you want to eat things that are digested and absorbed more slowly, um, especially in combination with things that are digested and absorbed more quickly, like a carb, for example. So we always want to choose um, a healthy carb option because less processed carbs, like for example, oatmeal or even whole wheat bread has fiber in it that is going to slow the absorption of those nutrients into your bloodstream. But if you also eat it with protein, which is digested fairly slowly and creates a slow, steady rise in the bloodstream, then you will have an even slower and steadier rise in blood sugar and it'll stay steady for several hours. And that is what keeps your energy level, your mood, your focus, all the things that we want to stay nice and stable or high throughout the day keeps you feeling good and energized. Um, Whereas if you're only eating, for example, like a bagel for breakfast or just having a coffee, um, your blood sugar is going to spike pretty quickly. And then it's going to crash about an hour later. 
And that's when you'll start to get low blood sugar symptoms like shakiness and brain fog, and maybe you get grumpy and tired. Um, so that's your body, you know, needing energy and needing a stable source of energy in the bloodstream. And so that's one of the biggest things that I get people to do is yes, it sounds like you're eating, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and, and healthy things in general, but making sure you're eating the right combination of things to keep your blood sugar balanced and then eating regularly enough. So um, having breakfast and then having lunch about four hours later and then having dinner about four hours later. For some people, obviously, if you're doing fasting or other types of special diets, that could vary. But in general, you want to just listen to your body. And if your body's saying, you know, my stomach feels empty, it's gurgling, I'm starting to feel a little weak and tired, probably I should eat something, right? Um, and then anytime people are kind of cutting out uh, a whole food group, for example, like carbs, when I see a lot of women trying to eat low carb for weight loss, um, especially when it comes to this, this burnout or this quote unquote adrenal fatigue, your body needs carbs more than other times. And especially if these are the women that are also doing intense exercise. Um, so you need the carbs to fuel your body and it actually helps your body to recover and to make some of these like happy hormones in the brain that are often quite low when we are very depleted. Um, so making sure that you're not uh, you're eating to balance blood sugar, but you're also eating enough calories and getting enough of each food group, including healthy carbs. I'm so glad you mentioned the blood sugar piece as again, somewhere where I've worked with patients over the years, struggling with fatigue. And I feel like they were disappointed when that was my first suggestion. They're like, like, why are we talking about that? Like, who cares? Like don't fix my <laughs> fatigue. But it really does make all the difference because like you said, mm -hmm. if your blood sugar is on this roller coaster or you're not eating enough in general, how can your body feel energetic and young and healthy, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. don't overlook that fuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I will say that I, most of the people I work with because they have a chronic gut health condition and some of them have SIBO, so small intestine bacterial overgrowth because of this gut imbalance, which in general term is dysbiosis, um, oftentimes are not absorbing very well. So even if they are eating a very balanced diet, they're eating to balance their blood sugar and all of that, if they're not absorbing all of these nutrients because their gut is not functioning optimally, then they're going to be tired, right? You're going to be missing these key nutrients that our body needs to function. And so that's where I really have to look at, okay, how do we balance out their gut microbiome um, in order to optimize absorption, but also replete the nutrients that are missing. But at the same time, we also need to kill off any uh, quote unquote, bad or inflammatory bacteria, yeasts, or other microbes that are actively causing inflammation. Because anytime there's inflammation in the body, it's going to cause fatigue. Mm -hmm. That's a great point too, the inflammation point. Um, so if someone's dealing with absorption issues, what are the tell signs that that could be the deeper thing behind the fatigue? Yeah, good question. Um, oftentimes, 
I will ask them, like I always ask specifically about their stool, which some people are hesitant to share. Um, but I need to know not just, you know, how often you're going, but also is it, is it a full complete bowel movement? Is it effortless or do you have to strain? And one of the biggest things um, in terms of absorption is, is your, is the toilet water looking oily or greasy? That's a sign of fat malabsorption. Is the stool sticking to the toilet bowl when you flush? That can be a sign of fat malabsorption, but also um, dysbiosis itself. Um, are you seeing undigested chunks of food in your stool? That can be just a sign of um, low stomach acid or digestive enzymes. So these are all really critical signs to me that part of their fatigue is due to uh, absorption issues. I really think that's yeah. more common than most people know. And like when I do a GI map on people, almost always I see exactly what you're saying. There's absorption issues going on. Mm -hmm. And that can be shown on the GI map too with, um, so elastase, which is a marker of pancreatic function. So if that is low, then we may not be releasing enough pancreatic enzymes to digest and absorb things. And then I believe there's also steatocrit on there, which is a marker of uh, fat in the stool. So mm -hmm. if you're, if that's high, then you're not absorbing fat very well, mm -hmm. which is really critical too. Definitely. Our bodies are so cool. Yeah. They're like complex, <laughs> but also the foundations seem so simple at the same time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wish more people, you know, were educated or learned in school or somewhere about the basics of how the body works, because it just seems to be such a, a like light bulb moment for people. When I tell them, you know, that things are just probably not functioning optimally. It doesn't necessarily mean you have some horrible infection in your gut, but it could just be, look, you're low in stomach acid, you're low in enzymes. Mm -hmm. And that is really, really common. And yeah. something like a digestive enzyme can often be super helpful for people. Totally. And unfortunately, most yeah. Western doctors aren't going to be thinking the way you and I are thinking. So right. they're not maybe going to be like, Oh, I wonder how your stomach acid's doing. Or I wonder if you're making enough <laughs> enzymes. Like they're not going to go yeah. there. Maybe they'll give you an antidepressant or something. I don't know. I know. And that's a whole, this is a whole other podcast topic, but a lot of people that I work with also have, um, have either had gastritis, chronic stomach irritation or ulcers, but also, um, chronic heartburn or reflux. And the doctors are often prescribing them antacids or PPIs um, saying to them that they have too much acid and that's right. why they're having the burning sensation. But really most of the time it, the acid is too low and you're getting the burning because you don't have enough acid to trigger that sphincter between your stomach and your esophagus to tighten. And so any acid that you do have is coming up into the esophagus because that sphincter is not fully closed. So, I mean, there's other factors too, like the like SIBO can contribute to it with the gas production, pushing things upward, but um, yeah. And it's, it's a vicious cycle because, you know, people are having these stomach issues to begin with because they have these imbalances and they get put on a PPI antacid and then that often makes it worse because having no stomach mm -hmm. acid allows more microbes to grow out of control. <laughs> so tricky. Exactly. But I did want to mention too, in terms of the, when we were talking about inflammation there and, and how that could be coming from the gut, um, something that doesn't often get recognized. And when people have a lot of, you know, brain fog and fatigue and inflammation and in this 
quote unquote burnout or HPA axis dysfunction situation, oftentimes there's immune system dysregulation. And we're like, well, where does that come from? Right? Because the immune system is very complicated. And you might think, oh, it's just because of my allergies or something like that. And it very well could be partly to do with existing allergies. Maybe you have outdoor allergies. Um, but we also know that the gut is a huge factor in, especially with histamine metabolism. So if you don't have the right bacteria levels in your gut, right, healthy bacteria, you can't efficiently break down histamine in the gut. And so, especially if you're taking in high histamine foods like aged cheeses or fermented foods or kombucha, alcohol, that can all build up in the gut and in the body and create this very high histamine level where you're having this systemic inflammation and the brain fog, and you're just feeling exhausted and inflamed. Um, and so we have to also balance out that gut bacteria to deal with that situation. But with the stress and the adrenal picture, um, I think the biggest factor there is that understanding that the um, brain and the nervous system and, you know, our stress state directly impacts our immune system. And it's when we're stressed, we're triggering certain cells called mast cells to degranulate and release a lot of uh, histamine and other chemicals that are inflammatory for the body. And so it may not necessarily be that you ate the wrong thing, or you have, maybe you don't even have imbalanced gut bacteria, but it's literally just that you're perpetually in this fight or flight state where it's triggering your, your immune system to release these inflammatory um, chemicals like histamine, and it's keeping you stuck in that inflammatory state. Very interesting. And it sounds like you see that pretty often. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'd say <laughs> at least 80% of my clients have wow. either really bad allergies um, or inflammation of some kind that they're dealing with, uh, histamine intolerance, and or they've developed an immune, an autoimmune condition. Uh, the most common one I see is Hashimoto's uh, thyroiditis. So that's a, a can lead to hypothyroidism, but it has to do with your thyroid where your immune system is attacking your thyroid. So it's become more and more common, unfortunately, especially, um, I guess with your podcast, uh, demographic women that have had any significant hormone shift. So whether that's pregnancy or menopause, those are the big times when we tend to see, um, autoimmune conditions crop up. And then also after intense periods of stress. Yeah. Which yeah. unfortunately is almost everyone you and I work with, whether they've had a baby yes. or it's been <laughs> a really hard couple of years or yeah, they go through menopause. Like everybody, it seems is kind of in their repair stage. Yes, for sure. And so they're having all these symptoms and thinking, oh, okay, well, I can just give me, you know, some kind of natural antihistamine or some kind of probiotic or a specific diet or something. And yes, while we do use some of these tools, I also really hammer it home to people that these things will help, but it'll never fully get you to a place of feeling hundred percent better. If you're not also regulating your nervous system and doing some of these practices, excuse me, to help you feel safe and grounded and calm in your body. And so everything can function the way it should be with in regards to your HPA axis, sending the right signals to the rest of your body. Totally. 
For Mm -hmm. anyone that's listening to this feeling like, oh my gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. Can you share maybe a favorite client success story or just anything that comes to mind of what's possible when you do focus on supporting your nervous system, balancing your blood sugar, eating nourishing foods? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of a client that I had that was really struggling with constipation and, um, she, you know, she'd done a lot of work with other practitioners. She, she was very good with eating well and taking her supplements and doing all these things, but she was still really struggling with constipation. And so the more I dove into things with her and we were, you know, tweaking the diet and tweaking supplements and, from day one, I definitely had recommended, um, that she try some deep breathing and she try, um, some like guided meditations before bed. And at first, I think that was something that because she was making other changes or she just wasn't ready with where she was with her life, which I can totally respect. Um, she hadn't quite implemented those, um, the deep breathing or the meditation, uh, pieces yet. So she kept coming back to me being like, look, I'm doing all of the diet changes we talked about and the supplements, but I'm still constipated and I don't know what's going on. And I kind of want to get more testing. Should I do another stool test? And, and just kind of grasping at straws being like, why am I still so constipated? And that's when I have to have the conversation with them of look like, yes, you are doing a lot right. But remember we talked about that, um, that nervous system aspect, right? So if you think about your gut and digestion is all automatic. You don't have to think, oh, okay, now I'm going to contract my stomach to churn my food. And now I'm going to push my food into the small intestine. Like it all just happens naturally and automatically because your brain and your nervous system is controlling that process. So it makes sense that if you're constantly in that fight or flight state, that that process won't work efficiently. And and if effectively, it kind of gets almost shut down because your body is conserving its resources to kind of run from danger and save your life. And so when we talked about these things, and I kind of really encouraged her and and brought up these ideas again of using the, the guided meditations and the deep breathing, especially the deep breathing as that kind of directly stimulates the vagus nerve and gets the gut going. Um, and then the next time we met, she said that she had started to practice those things and she really noticed an improvement with her bowel movement. So I was really glad to hear that that was the, the big, um, what's the word that was the deciding factor for her. That was the big change that made the biggest change in her bowel movements. Um, Um, and it was only once she kind of did the holistic piece of putting all the puzzle pieces together that she actually got the results she was looking for. And I totally get that, you know, especially if someone is new to, you know, maybe they're, I asked them to eat gluten-free or have more fiber or eat balanced meals and that all of that is new to them. And maybe taking supplements is also new to them. It's overwhelming for sure. And you can't, there's no way you can do everything at once. And I try to keep my suggestions minimal so that there isn't overwhelm, but we typically have to kind of circle back and and uh, revisit some of the ideas that I uh, mentioned in the first meeting because they just weren't ready for those pieces yet. And that's totally okay. But just kind of circling back and gently encouraging that they try those things. And in this case, it really paid off for her. It is such an art as a practitioner to, to not give them everything at once, even though we want to, and to make it all Mm -hmm. bite-sized and, you know, easy to 
easy to take in. But I also love that in that case study you shared, like it really was something that seemingly most people maybe would think like, whatever, that can't make that big of a difference that did make the biggest difference for her. Mm -hmm. So that was a really, really cool one you shared. Yeah. And I think that's so great because, um, it's such a, it's a tool that you have anytime, anywhere, right? Like you don't have to have your supplements on hand. You don't have to eat perfectly if you're on vacation in order to calm your gut. Like you have this breath work that you can do anytime, anywhere to calm your gut down and help regulate your bowel movements. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. As we wrap up our episode, is there any final piece of wisdom that you would share with someone that's struggling with fatigue specifically, um, to give them a little hope or a reminder of what's possible? Hmm. Good question. I'd say trying to prioritize and set boundaries is such a big one. And that's something I've had to learn the hard way myself. Um, especially being an entrepreneur or regardless of what your responsibilities are in any given day. Uh, A lot of us tend to make this mile long to-do list and trying to cram so much in. um, We don't, you know, we have to feel like we have to eat while we're working or we don't have time to exercise or go for a walk. So really picking, you know, say any given day, what are my top two or three things that have to be done today? And, um, focus on getting those done. And then where in my day can I squeeze in, you know, 10 minutes to eat my lunch without distraction or five minutes to do my breathing exercises. And I think it comes down to really just structuring your life in a way that feels more doable and less overwhelming and less like you're rushing from one thing to the next and more of an easy flow, if that makes sense. (laughs) Beautifully said. Yeah. Where can everyone find you, Holly, and connect with you? Yeah. So you're welcome to follow me on Instagram at mindful underscore vitality, or you can find me uh, through my website, mindfulvitality.ca. I also have a podcast called the fix your gut podcast. And yeah, those are the best ways, I guess. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This is such a good episode. I cannot wait for everyone to listen to it. And for everyone listening, if you love this episode, share it on Instagram, tag Holly and I It means so much when we can see direct impact and see that this information was helpful for you. So thank you again, Holly and everyone listening. Thanks for having me. We'll see you here next week.